Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Friday, April 1st. Within a week, we will have Major League Games again. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. Keith has been on the road, so we're going to talk about what he saw while he was in Arizona for a week. We'll talk about some other interesting spring developments. We've got prospects on the move, most of them being optioned down to AAA, but getting some clarity on where those players are going to begin the season. Always nice to have this time of year. And time permitting, we may dig into who the biggest threat to the Brewers actually is in the NL Central. We talked a little about the Cardinals on the 3-0 show on Thursday with all the injuries they have. I think people might be sleeping on the Cubs just a little bit, so we'll see if Keith agrees with that take or if Keith thinks that I have been sniffing glue for the better part of the last couple of days. Keith, how's it going for you on this Friday? Good. Tired. Still recovering from a red eye, which is just a terrible idea. It seems like a good idea in the moment you book it, and then it's never a good idea at any point after you book it. Nope, this will be the last red eye I take until I forget how badly this one went, and then I'll try it again. Yeah, It's usually about two months. <laughs> it takes about two months to forget how bad your last red eye actually was. Uh, so being on the road, you get to see a lot of players. You were around the Mariners for a bit, and one of the guys I wanted to talk to you about as we get started today is Matt Brash, who's been getting a lot of attention this spring. He was starting to bubble up as a, a bit of like a 2022 sleeper, possible you know fantasy deep league stash sort of guy at the end of last season. You wrote about what you saw, including his delivery, which sounds like it might be a problem in his bid to be a starter, at least in the long run. So you know, what did you see with Brash and what do you think his chances are of sticking in a high volume role? Yeah, so he... Um, you know, for fans who don't know, you know, Brash was definitely their breakout, the Mariners' big breakout prospect of last year because they had gotten him as a player to be named later in a trade for Taylor Williams during the pandemic year at the end of August. So the pandemic year's in-season trade deadline. Brash was a fourth round pick. He was out of Niagara. He's a Canadian kid. Like he just hadn't really been seen that much. He just had some arm strength and a bad delivery. Well, now he has 
not just arm strength, but a live fastball. That fastball is going to play. It's 95, 98 or so, and it's got big life, and he's going to miss a lot of bats with it, and it is a plus, probably a plus-plus slider as well, uh, where, you know, that's two pitches right now that are going to miss a lot of bats. And there is a pretty good chance he ends up their fourth starter out of spring training. It might be like a you know, five-and-dive type starter, just come in, go through the order twice at most, get you out, turn it over to the bullpen. Um, you know, I think he's going to miss a lot of bats if he does. I keep saying that because he's got two pitches that are going to hitters just don't square him up. They're not going to, you know, that said long-term I left him off my top 100 and I was pretty explicit. That's not a starter's delivery. There's not a single starting pitcher in major league baseball today or in recent memory who looks like that he's cross body. There's a ton of effort. There's some head violence. He's going to have a hard time commanding it. He's going to have a hard time staying healthy. Guys who throw that hard can have perfect deliveries and get hurt. Guys who throw that hard and have that much effort and come back across their bodies like that, they get hurt. And, you know, I can't tell you 100% that Matt Brash is going to get hurt, but it's all about betting probabilities. And for me, if you're trying to put probabilities on, you know, give me a basket of starters, right? And say, okay, what are the relative probabilities of these guys getting hurt? Brash has a much higher probability than most starting pitchers, starting pitcher prospects of getting hurt because of that delivery. And I think it's going to inhibit his command. And frankly, if I were an opposing manager and I saw Brash was coming up, I would get every lefty I had into the lineup because the way he comes across his body gives lefties a better look at the ball. Now he's still going to do pretty well against lefties because his fastball is so good. But I do think he's going to have enough of a platoon split in the long term. He's going to end up in the bullpen. And the Mariners have a lot of other starter prospects. So I really think he could help them in the short term. But if you're asking me, you know, what I think what I think he does in the next three months versus what I think he does in the next six years is a pretty big difference in role and production. Do you think maybe they could use him the way the Red Sox used Tanner Houck last year because of their depth, right? You temporarily start him, shift him back to the bullpen, kind of mix and match the role based on where everybody else is at health-wise. I mean, because they have a good rotation as it is with the Robbie Ray addition. Marco Gonzalez mm-hmm. can chew up innings. Logan Gilbert could take a step forward. Flexen's mm-hmm. kind of fine as a back-end guy. So if Brash is the five for now until some of the other young starters are ready, or if you get maybe some kind of bounce back from just the Sheffield, I'm not I'm not banking on that, but it's at least a it's a possibility. Like I, I could just see Brash being the guy that they they use in this flex role because of the concerns that you outlined, but that also might maximize his effectiveness. It might keep the strikeout rate as high as it can be, and it might keep the ratios in a really good place too, where he's just this excellent weapon that you see in later parts of the season, bridging the gap on a short start, working through the fifth and sixth innings and turning it over to that great group of short relievers. I mean, ultimately that's what I think he is. I think between delivery command and the good look he gives lefties for him to turn over a lineup three times is just going to be difficult to do it repeatedly. I mean, it's going to be difficult. You could obviously do it in one start here or there, but yeah, there's a lot of red flags there, but it's two sevens in his two, those two pitches. There are not a lot of guys who are you know, prospects who are ready right now with that kind of pure stuff. Um, it's pretty impressive to watch. I mean, it was interesting because George Kirby came in afterwards and Kirby looks way, Kirby is absolutely a starter. The question Kirby is basically is he a one or a two in the end. Um, although I know guys who have been with scouts who have lower grades, but I think we're, we're all talking about Kirby as a well above average starting pitcher. Um, I think I fall more in the two range than one range, but still he's a starter. He looks like a starter. He throws strikes like a starter. Brash has better pure stuff just with those two, two better pure pitches than Kirby has, but he doesn't have any of the other things that make Kirby a, you know, to me a much better prospect. Kirby's their best pitching prospect. 
Kirby has above average command too, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, plus control right now. And you look, the numbers bear it out, but also you just watch him, right? This is a guy who I don't think I got his best stuff on Sunday. He pitched in a game at the, the only major league game I went to while I was out in Arizona was uh, him and Brash piggybacking against Montas at the A's stadium. And I don't think I saw Kirby's best stuff by quite a bit, actually. Kirby's got a pretty good changeup. He really didn't have feel for it that day, but he still threw a lot of strikes. And he can drop the breaking ball in for strikes when he needs to. And the fastball, he can really locate. He's a different... It's a pretty interesting study in contrast because Kirby will show you 100. He didn't that particular day, but he has hit 100 miles an hour. But it's a light 100. I know it's weird, but it doesn't play like that. Like Brash will hit 98 and it's like he's throwing 104 and Kirby hits hundred and he's like, he's throwing 94, just different fastball quality. Kirby has three other pitches in command and a better delivery. You check off all the reasons why Kirby is better. Um, you know, it's weird to say that a guy who's 94 to hundred is that's his fastball is not his best pitch, but it's not, it's definitely not. Whereas with Brash, his fastball is, if it's not elite, it's just whatever is one half grade below elite. It's a fun time to be a Mariners fan, I imagine, because they could start to close the gap on the Astros and certainly made a, a, an impressive run last year, hung around a lot longer than people expected them to. And mm-hmm. this next wave of young talent is going to be there. I think with Kirby, they have a problem that a lot of teams are facing. The innings he was able to throw last year, 77 and two thirds between high A and double A. You have to find a way to increase him the way you want, use him as much as you can and and just have everything fall into place at the right time. It's an interesting tightrope to really walk. So you know, slow playing they him in the minors makes a lot of sense. Babied him last year, right? He, he, he was often pitching on extra rest. He had a minor, minor bout of some shoulder thing and they shut him down basically right away. Like they were ultra careful with him and they are with all their arms. And I'm not saying they're wrong to do that, but it's different. You know, when Kirby gets to the big leagues, he's often going to be asked to pitch on five days rest and to go. We go, they go deep into games. That's not really the issue. He's going to be able, he's going to be asked to pitch on shorter rest and it's a longer season. And so I do, it, it will be interesting to see. Kirby's going to be up at some point this year. So how do they choose to handle him? Um, in the, you know, if they, if they bring him up, do they say, well, you're going to come up mid year, but you're only going to make 10 starts because we're going to skip you, you know, a couple times if that's possible, for example. The other, player in Mariners camp that people are talking a lot about. If you watch a Mariners spring training game, he comes up, I think, every single inning on the broadcast, of course, is Julio Rodriguez. As I look at this team, Keith, I keep coming back to their outfield defense and thinking none of the guys, if you have Winker, Kelnick, and Hanniger out there, none of those guys are actual center fielders. Kelnick is young and plays it better than the other two can play it. My goodness, Winker in center field would be a disaster. But Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> but Julio Rodriguez could be a better option defensively on top of what he could bring with offensive ceiling. How long do you think the Mariners are reasonably going to wait before they take the, let's see what happens and, and push him in? We didn't play at AAA at all last year. Didn't even spend that much time at AA. But everything you hear about him, it makes it sound like he's very advanced for the lack of of in-game opportunities in the upper levels of the minor leagues. Yeah, I don't think he makes that club, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. I feel like also if Brash makes the club, then maybe Rodriguez is less likely to make the club. That's, a, I think, a completely reasonable argument for Julio to not make the club, which is what you just laid out, right? It seems very plausible to have him not make that club given, given the lack of upper minors experience that he's had. So, you know, I think they could... You know, they can argue that and um, 
you know, it doesn't look as bad, doesn't look as much like service time manipulation. That setting might be the best option that they have for, um, they might have for center field right now. And if that's not true right now, then maybe it's true a month into the season. I mean, if they send him to AAA, which is a hitter's league anyway, and he mashes there, right? What argument do they have for not calling him up? Because they're probably going to get less production than that out of the out of whoever they're playing out there in center anyway. And from what I saw from him, yeah, he may not mash right away. I don't want to put that on him, but he probably is going to be productive. I think he's going to take very good at bats right away. That's probably the best prediction I can give you. He may not be a star right out of the shoot, but I think we'll take very good at bats immediately. And that'll help. And, you know, I haven't gotten to see him really challenged at all in center field, but everyone, you know, multiple people tell me he's running really well and he's uh, playing better defense in center. He's a better chance for above average defense in center than Kalanick, at least at this point in his career. So they're probably want to get a hundred and something games out of Julio in the big leagues this year, one way or another, but I just don't get the sense he's going to make the major league roster. I could be wrong. That's not really my department very much, but yeah, I, I didn't get the sense that that was likely. Yeah. I get the sense that if they were going to follow a, a pattern similar, similar to Kelnick, it's a couple of weeks for him in AAA. If he's mashing, they give him the look. If it's not going well, they send him back down the way you're describing Rodriguez. It seems like there's a better chance that he does enough with those plate appearances to stick around once they make that move. Like that's mm-hmm. you know, a safer short-term floor and an amazing long-term ceiling. If it all clicks, yeah, you know, I mean, eventually he can, he could be a star. Like we all loved Kalanick and then Kalanick came up and he struggled right out of the shoot. Right. So that's, you know, I, it's not going to shock me if he, uh, if Julio comes up and struggles a little bit out of the shoot, because Kalanick had plate discipline. Kalanick took good at bats. Kalanick was probably just as advanced as Julio. So I don't want to um, oversell the possibility of Julio because he is a pretty advanced bat coming up and being great right out of the shoot. It's possible. I feel like it would be almost like be more fair to him to say, I think he'll come up, take good at bats, show you flashes of it. But maybe it's later, maybe it's the end of this year, maybe it's in 23 that we start to see, oh, no, this is guy, why this guy's one of the best hitting prospects in all of baseball. Totally fair. And I think it also is a, a high enough level if he if he is just taking those quality at bats, he's the fifth or sixth best hitter in that lineup that keeps him playing every day once he gets the opportunity. If that's, in fact, how it's going to play out. I want to ask you also about Mackenzie Gore. I know you didn't get a look at him while you're in Arizona, but you've talked to people who have seen him. Is he back? Is this the Mackenzie Gore that many people were hoping for you know, two and three years ago? I mean, yes, but right. Yes, this is it. This is what it looks like. Delivery's good, throwing strikes, stuff looks great. This is just on video and from me talking to lots of folks about him. That said, let's see him do it when the bell rings. He's not making that team, nor should he. Do you send him back to El Paso, which just sucks? That's a terrible pitching environment. Do you send him there and hope that that doesn't lead to any kind of backsliding? Because a lot of it was just mostly delivery related. Uh, and they've seen, you know, he's the, the team gives him a ton of credit. He did the work. He has streamlined his delivery. He is the, he's the reason he looks as good as he looks right now. So do you send him back to El Paso? Do you send him to double A and say, yeah, we know it's double A. It's fine. But we just want to put you in an environment where you're likely to succeed and let him go get some success there first. If you're not going to put him in the big league club. And I'm, again, I'm fine with them not putting him in the big league club. If you're in clubs with those AAA clubs and the old uh, major league teams with AAA clubs in the PCL uh, often have that added 
challenge because the a lot of those parks out west are either hitters parks themselves or those teams play a lot of road games in hitters parks and i would not want to potentially put that at risk put gore's newfound success at risk because obviously i've been a longtime gore fan and i kept him on my top 100 this year which i know you know some other outlets didn't i know this because padres people have mentioned that to me (laughs) um you know, Gore remains one of the best, maybe the best left-handed pitching prospect I've ever seen personally. Um, I saw one inning of Clayton Kershaw in the minors. Kind of doesn't count. but <laughs> One inning of Kershaw? One inning in the Futures game. And it was like I blinked and he was in the big leagues. It was like, oh, okay. Because uh, it was my first year at ESPN when I was with the Blue Jays. We were not taking a high school pitcher in the first round. That was pretty clear. Um, and that was when he was still in the draft. I think 06 was his draft. That was my last draft with the Blue Jays. So um, anyway, Gore was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And I really, really hope he gets back to that because it's really fun to watch. It'd be pretty awesome. Not just for Padres fans, but kind of for everybody. If you were wearing the GM hat, is it double A? Double A. I'd send him to double A too because El Paso is one of the most extreme environments in that extreme I league. I hate that. Ugh. Yeah, I would be tempted if Gore pitched well at double A to just bring him up to the big leagues from double A and just not even bother with triple A with him. That's exactly what I would do. I mean, it's easy for us to say, right? It's just we're just sitting here doing a podcast. But if the kid's amenable also, yeah, I would that would definitely be my my choice with him. He's only thrown 30 innings at double A and he's 23. So I don't think it's an insult. And you just tell him like, hey, the results don't matter, right? That's not. None of this is because of it, it. It is not about your, you know, what ERA you post or something. We're just not right. We're not doing that. This is entirely about just getting you right. Yep. And if you go there and you look right and the stuff is good, you throw enough strikes. Sure. That's it. Nothing else matters. Let's talk about Cody Bellinger for a moment, because for all of the Twitter excitement around Mackenzie hmm. Gore coming back to pre-2021 you know, sorts of levels. Cody Bellinger is lost in the Cactus League right now. And I would say that 95% of what's happening in spring training doesn't really matter to me. But on the ends, when you see extreme things, when you see a guy like Bellinger strike out 17 times in 27 at-bats, that sends the signal like, okay, so, not great, something's a little off. Something is wrong with Bellinger, but it's not the, well, he's unfixable. It's how do you fix him? What what do you do to get him right? I mean, I think there's, they've already moved him down in the order. We saw that last year coming off the shoulder injury. It took him most of the season to even start to resemble the MVP level Cody Bellinger. I, I don't know where we go from here. I don't know if it's a part-time role making sure he doesn't see lefties to begin the season, but what do you make of this? Because guys this young who've reached the peak that Bellinger has reached don't usually go through stretches like this. This may sound really dramatic, but I would actually um, keep him in Arizona Hmm. and, um, you know, player has to agree to it, but I would say, no, you're, you're staying out here in Arizona for, um, you know, it's essentially extended spring. You're not going to put him in games. So we need to, you have to do basically side work. We have to have you do something extra with our coaching staff because we just have to rebuild this because we can't play you, right? There's just, you can't, you can't roll him out there right now. And you're the Dodgers. You have to win. You're supposed to win. You have to win. 
they have some surplus. They're pretty fortunate in that department, right? There's lots they can do. They have plenty of extra guys. I was on their backfields and I asked one of their guys, if I shake this tree, will three prospects fall out? He said, no, they have plenty of players Four, or five. Yes. Two of them will be throwing about 98. Yeah, exactly. They got guys. They can fade that. There's a bunch of different reasons why they can do that. And most other clubs couldn't, but also I think it's the right thing for Bellinger. Yeah, I don't, you know, we all thought it was injury, 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 injury. We're kind of past that now, aren't we? Right. That's not a good, goes from being a reason to an excuse at some point. I don't know. Maybe he's still affected, but man, that's, this isn't going to play. And you just can't roll him out there. It's not good for him either. No, no, it's really not. Solving this problem against top level pitching to begin the season doesn't seem like the best way forward. So, We'll see if he's amenable to what you described, uh, maybe hanging around Arizona a bit longer. I hope, I mean, I really hope it's not a let's option him down to AAA. Like that would be, that'd be bizarre. Well, you'd have to agree to it, right? I think he's got enough service without checking. I think he has enough service. So yeah, not great. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So I want to ask you about the NL Central because we talked a bit about the Cardinals and all the injuries that they're dealing with on the 3-0 show yesterday. And I started to look at this division. The Reds, after seeing what the the rest of the offseason has brought for them, they look like a watered-down version of the team they were four months ago, which probably isn't that inspiring. And they're dealing with some injury issues of their own. But the more I've looked at the Cubs, Keith, the more I've started to talk myself into them as one of those teams that quietly is playing the middle that can yeah. play up in a division where things are going wrong for a couple of other teams in that two through four range in the NL Central. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. They're not that bad, right? That's I mean, damning with faint praise, but <laughs> give the Cubs credit though, right? They sold last year. They did what was the right thing, A, under the current system, then current system, and B, for the franchise. They had a bunch of impending free agents and they traded them all for prospects. And I spent time on their two days on their backfields while I was out there in Arizona. And let me tell you, the, the products of some of those trades, it's paying off. It's already looking good. Kevin Alcantara looks like a monster of a player. And he has he's still got 25 more pounds to go before he's really filled out. But he's 6'6 with a good swing and great bat control. And he moves well. I mean, I, I never saw Dave Winfield at 19, but I wonder if that's kind of what it looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much talent 
in that Cubs system. And a lot of it is the product of the trades and a good draft, the really good draft last year too, but it's really, they, tr- they did really well with those trades last year. But then instead of doing kind of what the Orioles have done and what the Astros did and said, okay, now we're going to lose for five years. They just went right back out and started building again. And they went out and signed some good players. And I am, you know, I'm completely in favor of that. I think it's great. I love seeing teams do that. And um, they should be lauded for it. Now, I don't think they built a 90-plus win team, but I think if you look at the range of possible outcomes, 90-plus is somewhere in there at the right tail of, of possible outcomes. There's some 10% chance that they do that. Yeah, and I think it's it, it, a lot of it has to do with the competition in division. The Brewers, while projected to win the division, to be the best team in the division, have their flaws. We still have to see what they're able to do to make this run scoring unit better. That was a problem for them mm-hmm. last year, not just in the postseason. Yes, their pitching is great and they've shown the skill to even unearth great bullpen arms, but can they score enough to be an elite team in the National League is a fair question. So I don't know if they can necessarily run away with this division in the first place. And I think mm-hmm. with the Cubs, like the Suzuki signing was the thing that really swung it for me. If they if they went out and, yeah. and filled that right field spot or added one more bat that was more like a Tommy Pham, which probably would have made sense back in December based on what we all thought the Cubs were going to do. I would look at this team and say, no, no chance. Like they're, they're topping out in the low eighties with wins, but something about Suzuki plus Stroman adding a lot of relievers. I mean, they've got David Robertson, Michael Givens, Chris Martin, Jesse Chavez, Daniel Norris, even if three of those guys are good and the other two are just Mm -hmm. extra guys, they might have a good enough bullpen. They might get bulk from the rotation. You know, you got Kyle Hendricks maybe as a bounce back candidate. They added Drew Smiley as a late addition. I think that can be, yep. that can be okay. And maybe there is a little bit of help coming from the system. Of the prospects you were talking about and the guys you saw, many of them are more than a year away still, right? Even though they did really well at the deadline last year, the core of what they're building still seems like it's not necessarily a lot of 2022 impact with maybe Brendan Davis as one exception. Yeah, that's probably it, right? For upper levels. I mean, their bottom of their system is great, um, but the upper levels, Davis is probably the only likely to help. I don't think he's, I haven't heard anything about him making the opening day roster. Really don't think he's ready mid-year. Sure. I don't think he's ready to impact this club right away. And now they're in a nice position where they don't have to have him do that. Yeah. I'd like a lot of the secondary pieces they added. The Clint Frazier dart was an interesting throw early in the off season. You know, Madrigal is not the kind of player that I get that excited about. He's fine as a second baseman in a lineup like this. I think VR added a little bit of punch, a little bit of versatility. It's just a, it's an interesting offseason that could bear more fruit than people expect. And increasingly, I'm looking at the Cubs as a team that might put more pressure on the Brewers than many of us expected them to. Kind of mentioned it in passing. The Reds offseason moves. Colin Moran, Tommy Pham. Okay, so you're, you're making some moves to backfill for the Winker Suarez deal. Fine, I get it. Now they're dealing with some injury issues in their rotation. Luis Castillo is hurt. Mike Miner, who they traded for, is hurt right now. Justin Dunn, who they traded for, working back from an injury. So it looks like we're getting both Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo in the rotation to begin the season. And for as much as I've kind of scratched my head and said, why are you not trying right now? At least they're pushing young players into those opportunities. I feel like mm-hmm. if you're not going to keep the core you had in place, turning these opportunities over to the prospects makes a lot more sense because at least they're choosing a direction. Sure. I don't think either of those guys is ready for the big league rotation. Um, I thought that was a curious choice, <laughs> certainly. 
in both cases for different reasons. And I'm a big Hunter Green guy. I love him. I think he's great for the game. I think there's still work that he has to do. And we'll be very curious to see, especially how he's adjusted to the, you know, he's had to learn. This is a guy who was throwing 101 or so in high school. Easy. And he could just put it by a lot of guys. Then he has to get to, you know, he gets into pro ball and guess what? Minor league hitters even can hit a hundred. If it's pretty straight, doesn't have high spin or a lot of movement, which his does not. So he really had to work on improving his secondaries and improving his command. He's an incredible athlete with great, great makeup. So I was not um, especially concerned about him doing those things. It's why I've continued to rate him highly, but I also recognize that that was a work in progress. And I, honestly believed that that was still a work in progress um, at this point. But obviously we are going to find out very quickly just how, how advanced he is along those lines. Particularly the thing I would most look at in his case is where's the, the I've always thought the slider was going to be a better pitch for him than the, uh, than the curveball. He loved the curveball. He always wanted to throw the curveball in college. He still liked to throw it in the minors. It is, was by far the inferior pitch, but he didn't throw a lot of, um, he didn't throw a lot of sliders. I don't even know if he had one actually in high school when I saw him. Basically, all he threw was fastball, curveball, and a very occasional change. In Lodolo's case, it's different. I, I question, you know, he pitched very well before he was shut down with a shoulder injury last year, which is not nothing, obviously. Um, and then, you know, he's got a low slot. He's gonna, he gets a lot of chases on that slider. He does not have a great third pitch for right-handers. If they said they were going to call him up and start him in a swing role, I would have said, awesome. I think he'll be great at that. And it's a great internship for him, essentially, to set him up to be a starter. Because I do think he's going to be a, a pretty good back-end starter. Um, I don't know that he's ready to jump directly into a rotation right now. And by the way, with both of these guys, keep in mind, that's a really lousy place to pitch. It's horrible for particularly home runs. It was close to Coors Field last year, I think, in home run factor. So to me, yeah, that's pretty pretty significant, a pretty reasonable concern um, to have about any pitching prospects. This isn't specific to those two guys. Yeah, Great American Ballpark. I think the rolling three-year average with the StatCast park factors, it plays 30% worse for home runs than a typical park, than an average park. Yeah. It's a big Who boost. Was it? was it Castellanos was one where the you know, he was a great doubles hitter, great doubles hitter, great doubles hitter, and then um, goes to there, goes to Cincinnati, and suddenly he is a home run hitter. And, well, wait, is he really a home run hitter now, or was it just what happened in Cincinnati's ballpark? It's very hard to tease that stuff out. Did he actually make a change, or was it just the ballpark turning a bunch of doubles into home runs? Yeah, and I think coming from a place like Detroit, which plays more pitcher-friendly, you're going from not a full extreme. It's not Oracle. It's not one of the worst places to hit. You're going from a below average place to hit for power to the best place to go hit for power. Mm-hmm. If you make a transformation, in addition to that, you're changing extreme variables enough where you're like, yeah, who who really is this guy? I think the thing yeah. that would give me a lot of confidence if I were trying to project Nick Castellanos for this season, he signed with the Phillies. Like He landed in another great spot. So it, yeah. it's a very Homer-friendly park. Yeah, top five, top six in terms of home run park factors. So I don't think you're going to have the possible crash that you could have had if he'd landed in a hitter friendly environment. At least I'm less concerned about that. I'm much more. To be clear, I wasn't 
saying that like I think he's going to be bad. I don't like the contract, but it really has nothing to do with that. It's more about length of contract with his age and the fact that he is basically a DH. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree about the long-term concerns about going to a, a deal like that with a player like that, especially when you do it simultaneously with Kyle Schwarber. Love what they can do as hitters. Really mm-hmm. like the Phillies offense now. And I think the Phillies, they've really closed the gap on the projections for the Braves and the Mets. Like they're they're closer than those teams would like them to be. I think we're going to have to see how this defense really plays out over a full season. That's going to be pretty interesting. I'm bet the under on them. I think I'll probably be the low man on the Phillies. I don't know. I haven't looked at projections yet. I haven't done any of my own things yet, but I got to say like, that's going to be a bad defensive club, like a really bad defensive club. They might win a lot of games, like seven to five. Does that, how often does that really work? Right. Bunch of people were saying that we're, you know, they're just going to right? They're just going to outscore the opposition. We talk about that. I feel like that doesn't usually play out when the defense is like this. Well, I think it's it's pretty interesting in the NL East because Atlanta and the Mets and the Marlins, those are teams with good rotations. You're not going up against bad pitching in that division. You need you need good bats to score against pitching like that. Mm-hmm. But how much will that defense bite them? And I I wondered about it more in the sense of we know the defense is going to be bad overall. The timing of when their defense is bad is something we don't know. When when are those mistakes going to occur? Are they going to occur when it matters or when it doesn't? Like You could get lucky with a bad defense. It's possible just based on the situations in which mm-hmm. your defense fails you. So I could talk myself into the Phillies actually making a run and maybe, maybe being a team that wins the division where most people are expecting one of Atlanta or the Mets to kind of take it because of... Atlanta being defending champs and the Mets spending so much money. But the projections, Fangraphs has win projections. Mets 89.1, Phillies 87.8. You're probably under the 87. Yeah, I'm taking the under on that, I think. (laughs) Reserve the right to change my mind, but yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Before we move on to some other prospect-related news, I know you were at camp for the Giants as well. Did anybody really catch your eye as you got to see some Giants prospects during your trip? Yeah, yeah. Um, the big one was Everson Arteaga, A-E-V-E-R-S-O-N. Uh, he was one of their best prospects in the AZL last year. Boy, I think that kid's really going to hit. <laughs> it's a great swing, and he hits the ball pretty hard, and it's a lot of line drives. Um, I think there's some power there. Um, I don't know how much ultimately that turns into, but yeah, I think that's some power. Um, I think it's pretty good. Um he was probably the most impressive. Mason Black was better than I expected. He still didn't need a third pitch to be a starter. The changeup he had was just not cutting it. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Let's move on to some other prospect-related news. It's that time of year when teams make decisions on their rosters. I think this was one you could see coming if they didn't make a trade or suffer injuries that created a path for one or both of these players. But just seeing it written out, the Rays have optioned Josh Lowe and Vidal Brujan back to AAA Durham. They've probably been on the rundown four or five times in the one year that we've hosted this podcast together, Keith. An any other team, eh, on most other teams, they'd have starting opportunities. On pretty much any other team, they'd at least be on the roster right now. So this mm-hmm. is just a, a bad spot for both of them, really. I know that could change. We could get late trades this spring. I think that's been a possibility all along that we'd get to this weekend as we get closer to final cuts. Teams will make some moves, and then one or both of those guys are back up. But what else can Josh Lowe do to show the Rays and, and the rest of the league that he's ready for a spot as an everyday center fielder. Nothing, right? He's ready. They just need him to, he just needs them to trade Kevin Kiermeyer, which I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. But I think that's sooner rather than later, certainly. Um, yeah, they just need to do that. He's, you know, it's a pretty good chance Josh Lowe's better right now. I think they just don't want necessarily to just move on from Kiermaier unless they're getting a really good return, which I would understand. But at the same time, they're probably a better club with low in center plus whatever the return is from Kiermaier, right? It's not just replacing Kiermaier with low, but it's also trading Kiermaier and getting something of value in return. Yeah, or just being willing to pay a salary so you do get something back in return. That could be the hang sure. I think paying him well. anyway. It's a sunk cost. Yep. Oh, just think about the Phillies with Kevin Kiermaier in center field. You don't need him to hit that much. He'd be your number nine hitter. Mm-hmm. More likely than not, but he'd fix yeah, a key problem on that roster. It'd be pretty good. Kevin Kiermaier for Alec Baum. Let's make it happen. Ooh. Oh, the the reaction if the Rays got Alec Baum would just be... Well, you know, he'd, oh. he'd hit 320 this year. Uh, he'd be amazing. Yeah. 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 Just stick him at first base. G-Man Choi becomes an extra guy or something, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that script is is too easy to write. Uh, O'Neill right? Cruz sent down to AAA by the Pirates. Okay, we've talked about Cruz a couple of times on this show as well. He's a very tall shortstop for now. I think mm-hmm. everyone saw the video of him hitting a home run on that breaking ball down by his ankles. That is the the good thing about having yeah. a, an enormous wingspan. It's the, that's, that's the mm-hmm. upside. The downside is that you have a massive strike zone that big league pitchers can exploit, but why? Why are they doing it? It's just pirates going to pirate. Bob Nutting was trending on Twitter on Thursday morning. Yeah, some of this is probably service time manipulation. And I want to say right now, too, he was too low on my prospect list. That's the one guy. If I go back and redo the 100, I'd move him up probably 15, 20 spots, not because of spring training, just from continuing to talk to people around the industry and 
you know, lots of feedback. This guy's too high. This guy's too low. This guy's too high. This guy's too low. Cruz was one where a almost everybody said you have him a little bit too low. Some thought I had him way too low. Some thought I had him too low. But B also like thinking of the reasons I put him where I put him, which segues into the second point, which is the one of the reasons I put him where I put him was because we don't know what position he plays. Right? I don't believe he's a shortstop. And I wonder if that was the other thing for the Pirates is we got to figure out this guy's position. He may just be a center fielder. He would be probably an incredible right fielder. I had talked to a scout last week who said he got an 80 runtime on O'Neill Cruz. I've never seen that, but if O'Neill Cruz is even a 70 runner, basically time, time you know, very consistently, A, it's a better player than I, than I gave him credit for being in B. He'll be a hell of a right fielder and has a real chance to play center. I think he's too tall for the infield. History says he's probably too tall for the infield. But I think I weighed too much the fact that he was, I don't think he's a shortstop and not enough of, hey, this guy can play a bunch of other positions and probably play several of them well. And so if the Pirates' main reason was we need to figure out what position he's going to play, okay, that's fine. Let's figure it, like, we'll take a month, pick a position, and then bring him up. And that's probably what they'll do. I mean, had a couple of games at the end of the season with Pittsburgh last year. Only played six games at AAA. So it's not as egregious as my tone might make it out to be. If you send him down for three or four weeks and he's up by May 1st and he just stays up, I don't think there's any grounds for complaint with that outcome. As frustrating as it is, right? I think you and I are, are both firmly on the side of it would be great to live in a world where Major League Baseball played the best players in each organization at the highest level and not you know, not worried about this, especially a team like the Pirates, where there's opportunities all over. But mm-hmm. giving him a few weeks at AAA, as long as he's up by May 1st, I can live with that. MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, both optioned by the Royals. Not really a big surprise because they're healthy behind the plate. They're healthy at first base. They still have Carlos Santana there. This is one of those problems where, Keith, I think if Carlos Santana struggles for the first month, first six weeks of the season they could maybe push him off the roster or at least push him into a part-time role and figure mm-hmm. out how exactly they can make the pieces fit with guys like Melendez and Prado. And I believe Melendez was playing some third base this spring. So I don't know how realistic that is in, in games that count at the big league level. They've talked about it. You know, he's a catch. I understand who they have behind the plate. Melendez's main value is as a catcher. I'm not we're wavering off that. I don't care who you got there. He needs to be a catcher. <laughs> Staying in the AL Central with some good news. Tigers are at least making it sound like Spencer Torkelson might be on the opening day roster. Are you on board with what you've seen and heard about him that he should be there? 100% on board with this. Um, I haven't heard anything on him this spring. doesn't matter. I saw him plenty last year. He needs to be on the opening day roster. You want to win, Detroit? This is your best chance to win. Good for you. And good for you. Good for it. another team issuing these service time considerations, especially on a player of his age. This isn't a 20-year-old, right? It makes way more sense. It makes the least sense with pitchers. It makes the most sense with ultra-young position players. Torkelson is not that, through no fault of his own. Um, but those, you know, any of those college position players whose minor league careers were interrupted by the pandemic year, nobody should be delaying when those guys come up to the majors. The natural follow-up question is, how about Riley Green? I would not be opposed to seeing him get a month or so in the minors. It's the need for him is a bit less obvious. However, Riley Green, if, if Torrelson is ready, Riley Green is like this close to ready. Like he seemed to really, I saw both of them late last year. 
Um, I wish I'd seen Green again in Fall League, but I did see him during the season twice, I think, and he ain't far off. Actually, my biggest question with him is, do you want to try him in center? I think long-term, he's not going to be a center fielder. So you're going to have someone else better. And they do have Derek Hill, who has not much of the plate, but is a great defensive center fielder. Or do you just say, we'll take the defensive hit just to get Green's bat in the lineup every day? I think I would take the defensive hit to get Green's bat in the lineup every day. Mm-hmm. I think I'd take, I would take the more aggressive approach. I think the only concern I would have about Riley Green is the strikeout rate at AAA. For all the things we've said about AAA being pretty watered down, how much of a jump do we get with him facing big league pitching initially? Is he going to strike out 33% of the time for the first couple months of his career, for his first season? Does he make enough hard contact to get away with that? He does draw walks, has the power, has a little bit of speed to at least the kind of speed that helps you steal some bases. I think if you're the Tigers, if you're going to bring Torkelson up, even though Green fits the description of the the younger position player where the extra year matters more, try it. Mm-hmm. See what happens. If you have to send him back down for a couple of weeks and then bring him back up later in the season, I think that totally fits. You're trying to win. Yep. Right? That's that's the idea here. Don't try 80%. Just go with everybody. Go all in. In for a penny, in for a pound. Exactly. I agree with that philosophy when you're trying to win. Between St. Jose Miranda to AAA, not really a spot for him at the moment. I think he could be an up and down guy, and you know, he's got some some infield versatility, so he'll he'll find playing time eventually. Can't really play any of the positions well. That's the problem. But he, he tries, Keith. He tries. That's the tries. Good job, player. good effort. Yeah. The other player they sent down is someone I don't hear a lot about. He was eighth in your Twins prospect rankings when you had the organizational rankings come out a month or so ago. Now, Josh Winder. And a lot of times when we talk about the Twins, it's, well, where's the pitching going to come from? And I think he's one of those guys that might be part of that answer sooner rather than later. More like later this season, right? He and Balazovic should be up at some point this year, but they have weird, they don't, right? There's no number one start, right? With the Twins, there's, I like Gray, probably at best he's a two. And then they got a bunch of fours and fives um, and sixes, right? What is Chris Archer at this point, honestly? It'd be fun if Chris Archer were good again, but I'm not going to expect yeah, like, right? it. Let's not count on it. Yeah. Right? I'm with you. Rooting for that. Good story if it happens. Yes. I'm all in on the, hey, let's root for cool players, good players with cool stories. Absolutely. Um, and I like Chris Archer as a, as a person. Like, I thought he was also good for the sport. Let's not bank on him being above replacement level just yet. Fair enough. Just, just saying. One more news item that caught my eye is Edward Cabrera, who debuted for the Marlins last year. He's battled arm injuries as a prospect. He's throwing a new pitch. It's a sinker. And I think he falls firmly into this group of players that come up and debut and they're not up for very long and it doesn't go well. And people sour unnecessarily on the player as a result of 30 or so innings in the case of a pitcher or maybe 25 games as a position player. And Cabrera, to me, if even in a good rotation that the Marlins have, if you think that's a good rotation, I think he belongs in there. I think you should mm-hmm. use you should either go to a six man rotation because you've got a few guys like Pablo Lopez and Eliezer Hernandez who have legitimate long term health concerns, or you should have Cabrera replace someone like Hernandez and make him your fourth or fifth starter and just keep moving ahead with this youth movement because I think Cabrera has impact stuff. He does have impact stuff, and I am completely convinced that Cabrera's biggest problem last year was the um, the different different baseball 
because suddenly, and if you watch some of the video from him in the big leagues, like he, he has a wipeout changeup, and the changeup wasn't good in the big leagues. And it didn't move the same way when he got to the big leagues. And I am all like, he's hardly the first player to run into that situation. And I absolutely believe that, um, you know, give him the year to work with the coaching staff and make that adjustment. That pitch will still be there. He had feel for it. It had action. Um, You mentioned him throwing the new pitch, the sinker. I'm in completely in on that one. I've always been a Cabrera guy. I still believe he's going to be good. I think he's a chance to be kind of a breakout candidate this year. Um, and I'm making a bit of an assumption that the changeup will be back to where it was when he was in double eight, when he, even at the start of last year, it was still there. Someday, I hope we reach the point where the baseball that you are given the first day that you get to instructs Amazing. is the exact same baseball that is in your hand. The first yeah. time you step on the mound at the big league level. Can we do that someday? What if, from high school all the way up, everyone used the same baseballs and the same bats. Be incredible. That's some crazy talk right there. Yeah. Well, well, we can't even get the same bats between college and pro. Right. I was just out of, I went to see Brooks Lee on Saturday. I still have to write that up, but he might be the first position player. Might be the first player taken. He might be the, he will be the first college player taken. I feel pretty confident in that. And ping, 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 ping. Wait, hold on. Can I do like, no, that's not that's a slapping sound. I'm trying to find like two metal objects here. So I can at least my, my great sound effect has been ruined. Unfortunately, all my pens here are plastic. If I were a good producer, I would have some kind yeah, of metal sound, sound button. Ready? I'd have a Bad board. job, Derek. What the hell? Terrible production work by the host. There we go. It's not good enough. If that's what the contact sounded like, I don't want the player. It's not good, right? No. Don't draft him. Everything in one swing. Oh my God, he came up in the ninth inning of an absolute blow. It was 12 nothing the wrong way. And so half of the scouts had left to try to double up, go to another game. But a few of us were still there. I'm like, this is going to be it, right? It's 12 nothing. It's the ninth inning. He is going to let it rip. And I don't care if it's foul. He swings and misses, whatever. And what does he do? He hits a three foot tapper right in front of the <laughs> So he hung around for a three foot tapper. Oh, it was fantastic. Just what we're looking for. You could have actually had, you know, a second game, good pizza, I should have left. tacos. No, I did. I went to Juniper and Ivy. I had a great meal. I had planned all that out because I was, I was not doubling up. I'm, I'm staying for the end of Brooks Lee. Went to Juniper and Ivy, which the great thing about San Diego is you can go eat in Little Italy and you can be at the airport in less than 10 minutes. Every city should be that convenient for me personally. Just for you. We should just for me restructure all, all me. the cities that you travel to for your travel benefit. It's a great idea. Absolutely. Yep. Well, keep an eye out for that write up. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic and you want to read all the things we've talked about, you can do that at theathletic.com slash baseball show. That link will get you a subscription for a dollar a month for the first six months. That is a great deal. Of course, opening day less than a week away now on twitter you can find keith at keith law you can find me at Derek van riper the athletic baseball show is back on monday have a great weekend 